0: You are listening to the Post Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 96, covering Final Mission and The Loss. Hello, friends. I am 50% happy to be here, Matt is 0% happy I am, to be here.
1: I am 100% unhappy to be here.
0: So we are like a Sesame Street sketch about near and far. That's true. This week. Uh, I do not like the second one at least, but I was quite pleased with the first one, but you will and hear I'm us... I'm not happy at all. No, you'll hear us argue as you never have before, or maybe as you have before, we do it occasionally. Uh-huh.
1: So I mean, It's not like it never happens. It feels like it
0: never happens, but, you know, that's because we're usually united against a truly bad episode, and there's yeah. usually not a lot of middle ground, like, well, this one's okay, but mm. it's, you know, whatever. But this one we're actually divided on, which is which is good for you, the listener. Yes. Matt and I might break up over it, but uh, we'll see how it goes.
1: Technically, that would also be good for you, the listener. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, why don't I tell you about Final Mission? Yeah, please do. So Captain Picard summons young Wesley Crusher to the bridge for some good news hidden under a smokescreen of disapproving ball busting. Oh, that old chestnut. Turns out Starfleet Academy has an opening this year, and it looks like we're finally going to have to stop contriving reasons to keep him around on the Enterprise. But first, Picard wants to take him on one final mission. Eh? Eh? Before he sends him off. The captain has to negotiate with some rebellious miners on some planet we've never heard of, a plot development which forces me to cringe and settle in for yet another Mulledy Rebel episode. More on that in a minute. As Wesley has been reading up on outpost judiciary decisions, Crusher, you animal, JLP thinks this would be a prime opportunity to take him on one last assignment. And almost immediately upon their departure, the Enterprise is called away on a vital mission to save some hideous aliens because, of course, they are. All right, maybe this old girl has a few more contrivances up her sleeve after all. Surprising no one, the junky shuttle and its junky captain crash almost immediately on a desert moon. Wait, no, a desert moon. Well, I assume the sand isn't edible. I guess they never actually tried eating it. I guess I was wrong about the Mulody rebel thing, too, so hooray! So the three of them, Picard, Wesley, and the shuttle pilot, who's a bit of a cock, so I will henceforth refer to him as the shuttlecock, head off to the (laughs) distant mountains in hope of finding a crash plane full of soccer players to eat. And while the shuttlecock is kind of annoying, we can at least count our blessings that the two Starfleet guys weren't stranded on a hostile moon with the outrageous Okana. This guy for all his flaws was hardly outrageous at all. Eventually, after much crawling around the desert, panting and calling out, Water! Water! to nobody in particular, they reach a mysterious cave with a mysterious fountain that's protected by a mysterious force field. The shuttlecock shoots at the thing with his phaser, unleashing the ghosts from the Ark of the Covenant and sending a bunch of rocks tumbling down on Captain Picard. Nice going, dink. Picard has broken his clavius majoris, his sterno, and his hip bone, which is connected to the very vital leg bone. Oh, and he's received a sharp blow to the head, so we can only assume he hates all women now. That's a deep callback, kids. Meanwhile, the Enterprise kills time with the thrilling adventures involving, no kidding, moving a bunch of garbage through some rocks. And Bever panics because her baby! Back on the moon, Wesley attempts to take charge, since Picard is barely conscious and muttering about football practice. The shuttlecock is having none of this and develops a genius plan to shoot at the force field with two phasers. And then he dies the way he lived, trapped in some kind of semi-transparent casing. Wesley rushes to the near corpse of his captain and swears to the heavens that you're not going to die on me, man! Except the heavens can't hear him because he's in a cave. Then he figures out how to override the force field around the water by tapping a bunch of keys on his tricorder very fast. I slowed this bit down and looked carefully, and it looks like he was entering up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B.A. start. Clever bastard. He he brings Picard some water, which, as we all know, is a magic curative for broken bones and concussions. Then the Enterprise arrives, and Wesley is awakened by the soothing voice of his mother. Because, of course, he is. He and the captain share a tender moment, then he heads off for the Academy, where he'll never be seen again. Except for all those other times. Yeah. I actually enjoyed this. I, I am surprised. Well, I'm not surprised that you didn't. I see your points. We've talked about this a bit before.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, but let me just roll into my good thing, bad thing here. Yeah. So it's a little contrived, but that said, this is a legitimately good test of Wesley's ability before he goes off to the Academy. He's forced to assume a leadership role and to solve problems, and he totally rises to the occasion. We've gone from despising Wesley to being indifferent to him to almost actually kind of liking him. And I think this episode is a pretty solid sendoff for him.
1: So I completely disagree. All right, let's hear let's hear why. I like you're completely right. We have followed Wesley from being just awful mm-hmm. to nothing to being kind of fine with him. And then that arc is completely ruined by this episode. It all just feels like it comes crashing down because Will Wheaton is just atrocious in this episode.
0: I you know, I can kind of see that point, but I don't know. He was meant to play sort of in over his head plus the hero worship thing. And I think, you know, sort of dazed and goofy was the way to play it, honestly.
1: I don't think that it was. I, okay. Dazed and goofy is definitely the way he did play it. He just spends a lot of the episodes sort of alternately standing there with his mouth <laughs> hanging open and kind of whining. I, I don't know. It I, just it feels like it's done away with everything that we've sort of built up with that character over the last few years. I
0: disagree, and I think specifically it pays off the arc between Picard and Wesley because initially, like in the in the pilot, in the first few episodes of season one, he's like, "Get that off my bridge," and now he's like, "I'm proud of you." So no, it's
1: like it. it clearly they were trying to do, to to do a, like a good cap to that to uh-huh. that. You know the last Picard and Wesley episode, and I think the the concept is good, mm-hmm. but like Will Wheaton just cannot carry through on this thing. Like Patrick Stewart's acting his ass off on this. Well, one, yes, and as he always he's does. Getting nothing back. Yeah, I um,
0: I disagree, but you know, I think we've I think we've hashed out both our arguments at this point. You know, we're just going to get to calling each other names, and uh, mm-hmm. let's save that for later. <laughs> let's save that for sweeps. <laughs> Uh, My bad thing, which apparently you also disagree with, uh, I don't think Bever's my baby hysterics have ever been worse. She's always hovering on the bridge when she has no reason to, just waiting for news. Troy's only appearance is to, like, help soothe her and send her back into a tizzy. It's just awful. Hopefully she'll become a more well-rounded, less ridiculous character now that Wesley's gone.
1: Yeah, you're right. Once again, I disagree with you. I think uh, this is uh, Bever's most, like, her least my baby uh, thing yet. Like... I think she doesn't have
0: a scene where she's not worrying about Wesley. And the one time she does, Troy comes in and, like, pushes her and makes her worry about Wesley. I dare (laughs) you.
1: Like, I totally saw that scene as Troy coming in to go, "Uh, hey, so you're worried about Wesley? And Beverly just going, look, I got other stuff to deal with right now. Like, I'm fine with her being worried about Wesley because, like, that's in-character for her. Mm -hmm. Very clearly. It's her only character. But, like, I mean, like you say, she spends the rest of the episode, like, she's always on the bridge, she's always in the background, but she's never complaining about it. She's never, like, you know, actively saying, I'm so worried about my baby! No, that's true, but there's only one reason why she'd be on the bridge. Oh, yeah, no, they're totally, like, I completely agree with you that, like, that's why she's there. Yeah. But at least they're not make they're they're not like making a huge deal out of it. I you guess know? like she's there because of course she's be, she'd be worried.
0: See, I guess you're right about that. That there's no direct panicking, but what there is is every scene about her involves Wesley. Like there is no time she appears that it doesn't have something to do with Wesley either explicitly or implicitly. And that was my real problem: is she doesn't have a character if there's no Wesley. Like everything about her is designed to react to him.
1: Well, I mean, that's certainly true. That's always been a problem with that character. And I think
0: it's more it's more prominent in this one than it has been before. On the other hand, that's it. We're done. Yeah. Like, he'll come back once a season, henceforth, and that is it.
1: Okay, and then he'll go to heaven. Yeah, let's
0: let, let's deal with that when we get to it. <laughs> He's got a couple of good episodes in him now. The game is good, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, what was it? The, the, the final duty, uh, the first duty. Yeah, the,
1: the first duty is a really good yeah, episode. Yeah, those
0: two are pretty good. So, yeah. you know, we got that to look forward to, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Um. So you, good thing, bad thing. I think we've already covered your bad thing as far as... We the, did cover my bad thing. Will Wheaton's acting. Yeah. But uh, what was your good thing?
1: Uh, there's a shot of the garbage scow sailing off into the sun that's really quite nice.
0: Yeah, there's the whole B-plot, which I only sort of glossed over, <laughs> which is that um, these... Awful... <laughs> the
1: Enterprise takes out the garbage. Okay,
0: so there's this mysterious ship full of somebody else's toxic garbage. <laughs> and our theory either is that it's a millions of you know million year old long dead race that just sent it out there mm-hmm. or the ferengi live in the next system over and just toss their garbage over the fence
1: <laughs> let arby's deal with it yes
0: either way it's like oh shit well this is poisoning their atmosphere we better help them and there's an asteroid belt they're like well we could throw it into the sun but there's rocks Mm-hmm. And it's just as exciting as, as I make it sound.
1: And, like, if it hits a rock that you have no idea how toxic this garbage is, yes. like, this stuff will fuck you up. Well, the
0: thing is, the Enterprise can't just tractor beam it because they can't hold it that close to the ship. Mm-hmm. Because it's so—the it's it, the stink lines are so prominent that they will <laughs> penetrate the hull.
1: Like, we're talking about rotten eggs and cat piss. Yeah,
0: and, and dirty diapers. Yeah. Also that. Um... So not good, uh, but yeah, you're right. The effects of like the asteroid field and of the uh, of the thing going into the sun that, that was pretty good. Now you had mentioned that you thought the ship bore a striking resemblance. Oh
1: yeah, it looks exactly like the red dwarf. Like every time it would, every time it would sort of coast by, I kept thinking there'd be a tiny astronaut outside trying to paint it. Well,
0: and they they did these long, slow flybys, which is definitely you know one of the reasons you thought that i think yeah
1: like it's, it's like those sort of long linger it basically reminded me of the opening credits right. of red dwarf like I, the old opening it credits
0: it wasn't it wasn't big enough but i wouldn't be surprised if they bashed red dwarf out of this and just a few other things like maybe mm. maybe there is a piece of that actual ship incorporated into the red dwarf
1: model yeah i wouldn't be surprised at all it's got that sort of like or like like early 90s, late 80s spaceship look to it. Well, and
0: and often what they would do is they would literally go to a hobby store, buy a bunch of, you know, spaceship kits and mix and match them and paint them a certain way so they weren't the same. Mm-hmm. So it's possible that's actually the same ship. <laughs> all right. So I, I think we've covered all of the subplot. There's really no, nothing more to the B-plot other than we can't get this garbage out. We got to get this garbage out. Oh, my God, is someone going to look out for the garbage? That's pretty much it.
1: <laughs> I, I would like to take a second to talk about the one of the stupidest alien races we've seen yet. Possibly the stupidest so far, I would like, be willing to say. Like, every time I think that I've seen the stupidest things uh, Star Trek can show me, they show me a much stupider alien. Okay, so she's got, like, a
0: side ponytail like cheerleaders did in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. And then, Which
1: okay, fine. That's just that's just bad style decisions. Yeah,
0: that's she just got a bad haircut, or you know, the styles on that planet are just stupid. Mm. But then you got her face.
1: I mean, first of all, we're talking about a about a race of aliens that look like they were made out of like early early nineteenth century footballs.
0: <laughs> that's one possibility. Another possibility could be that they're made of clay that melted. Mm Mm-hmm,
1: that's definitely true. And it would explain the defining feature of this race. Ah,
0: yes, which is a little flesh cage over their mouths.
1: Yeah, like, we're talking about an alien race that literally do not have working mouths. Yeah,
0: so either they eat through absorbing things through their skin or maybe with their butts. Who knows?
1: Like, we're talking about the first race on Earth who have ever, who ever, or the first race in the universe who developed the straw before the wheel.
0: (laughs) That is quite possible. Like... Just terrible. And and it's yet another one of those, you see one or two representatives of them and they're like, help us, Enterprise, we're helpless. It's like the dudes from uh, Q-Who? No, no, mm-hmm. no, not Q-Who, uh, Deja Q. Yeah. Where they're like, oh no, our moon's going to crash, please help us. It's the same thing. It's exactly mm-hmm. the same, you know, you better help us because we're stupid.
1: It's like an entire race of people from adventure games. Yes, you're basically... Enterprise we need you to get the uh the thing for us so we can do a thing. And there's
0: going to be three of them because there's mm-hmm. always three of them. And now you are our quest slave. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's that. Now we can move on to the uh to the other plot, the main mm-hmm. plot. Which okay, first of all you got take charge Picard, which I really like. They crash on a planet yes. and he knows exactly what to do.
1: Yeah, and I love I love the way Picard uh like sort of plays off Shuttlecock. Oh
0: yeah, he he totally like pulls <gasps> out his diplomatic, you know, uh, uh toolbox.
1: Like he, after they crash, it's almost the first thing the the first thing he says to them is like, "Listen, no one put you in charge. This is my ship. My we yep. we crash-landed on my stupid planet."
0: And he and Picard immediately asserts not that I outrank you, but Okay, here are my reasons. Here is my thoughts. Do you have yeah. better thoughts? No, that's why I'm in charge.
1: And look, here's some stuff that you can do, and it's really important, and we need you to do it. Too. Yep. Now, those
0: mountains are our best bet. I don't want to go to the Okay, where do you want to go? I don't know.
1: I mean, I... All you're doing well, is... I, ge- I guess the mountains are a good idea. All
0: you're doing is disagreeing with me. Do you have any better ideas? Because I'll listen to them. No. Mm-hmm. all right
1: now i'm going to draw an arrow
0: <laughs> yes he he, and you know we make this sound funny but it actually makes sense kind of he, yes. he makes an arrow from the wreckage we went this way which is a good idea although, it's a good
1: idea but it's still
0: funny yeah although it's like the enterprise can scan for life forms do they really need to look for an arrow or can they just say <laughs> oh three life forms in this cave." oh two life forms now
1: I like the idea of Data, like, looking at his, at his instruments. Uh, sir, I found an arrow. Oh, well,
0: I'm glad we invested in that arrow finder app for the tricorders.
1: <laughs> the best part is that they put the arrow down, and then they walk in a completely different direction. Well, they direction. walk in a
0: slightly different direction, but as you go further, it's going to be further and further off. Yeah. Like, that and angle your arrow is,
1: going... is... not a, your arrow is not exactly, like, the best way to, sh- to show where you went. Well, it looks like they went in a mountainsly direction. Well, plus it's not
0: windstorm proof.
1: No, Like, it we didn't. showed
0: the wind kicking up some dust, so surely the arrow would be pointing a different way by the time they found it if it was even there. Mm-hmm. So there's also that, but but it
1: was because Beverly's like, we found your arrow. <laughs> I I do generally that was my idea.
0: I do genuinely like Picard taking charge, mm-hmm. and that was why I liked Wesley's sort of arc here because Picard's taken out of commission and wesley has to take command of it and he didn't do a perfect job but he did okay he didn't do a
1: very good job at all
0: i thought this episode was going to end with computer and program wesley you've passed the test now you can go to the academy i'm so glad it didn't end like that
1: that would have been such a cop-out especially since i'm pretty sure we did that episode in season one yeah i
0: i maybe thinking that it didn't end that way and being happy maybe that's why i liked it. i don't know because you make a lot of good points and i don't disagree with your details but overall i still liked it i don't know why
1: I mean, like, I'm not going to be all, like, you know, I'm going to stop you from liking this thing you liked.
0: No, but I've I've listened to all your points, and I don't disagree with any of your individual reasons. But Mm. for some reason, I still like it. I don't know why.
1: Another thing is that, like, after Picard gets rocked, like... (laughs) Like he says, he says to Wesley, "You need to. You, you're in charge now. You need to make sure that Shuttlecock doesn't do yeah, anything." Yeah, keep him under
0: control, to, would you
1: please? Keep him under control. And the first thing he does is, okay, now this is my stupid plan to shoot the thing Wesley's with a bunch like, of lasers. That's
0: a bad plan, but okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And my thought was, okay, they've got two phasers. Uh, Wesley's more or less forced to shoot one. Put it on stun and shoot him and take his phaser. Yeah, that's what I would have done.
1: Yep. But. but instead, he just goes through with a terrible plan that he knows is a terrible plan. And
0: lets the guy die.
1: Yeah. Let's the guy die. In the by... grossest way possible. Yeah,
0: it being encased, I, I took it to be sort of hard plastic. You took it to be this sort of gross spiderweb hair thing.
1: Yeah, it was really, it looked really gross. It looked like this hideous pile of, like, hair and glass and stuff. I I disagree. <laughs> Again, no, I, I don't know why, but it was just like a visual nails on the chalkboard for me.
0: I I mean, I see what you mean, but it, to me, it looked like he was just encased in this sort of hard plastic. But I, I guess nobody touched it, so we don't really know. Alive, but in perfect harbona- hibernation. Harbination. Hibernation. Yes. At the harbor. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> um. Let's see what else. I toward the end, I I felt like it was very much like an adventure game. Mm-hmm. Captain Picard is cold. Use phaser on rocks. <laughs> and honestly, okay, we don't know who put the fountain there. No. Nope. With the force field around it. Nope. We don't know what the hell Wesley did with his tricorder to open the force field. Yep. It's all just a big mystery. Maybe it was the same people who shot their garbage at those other guys. Who knows?
1: My feeling is that, like, that, like, if you're going to put a, a fountain in the mm-hmm. middle of the desert uh-huh. and then put an invisible force field around it, you're just a race of mean people. <laughs> I kind of like
0: that. I feel like they're going to inhospitable planets everywhere. They're going to cold planets and putting, like, jackets and, you know, yep. fire starters behind, you know, impenetrable force fields. Behind
1: ho- force fields. And then if you try to get through a ghost attack. Right.
0: You're... Which, of course.
1: It's like, oh, it's a, it's like, you know how there's that thing in in about how the ancient aliens seeded all these planets with, uh, like, humanoid DNA? Yeah. I feel like there's this ancient race of jerks yep. seeding planets with stuff that's useful that you can't have.
0: Exactly. Like there's a planet full of uh poison dust and there's mm-hmm. a fan that you could just blow all the poison dust away, but nope. <laughs> it's behind it's behind a force field.
1: The same ones that put all those monsters on the ice planet from the new Star Trek yes, movie. Exactly. Um
0: actually I heard a I heard a uh I heard an explanation for that. Oh really? Yeah. Um because there's one that comes up through the ice and it looks like there's no way it should uh it should exist on that kind of planet. Mm-hmm. Apparently uh, that planet used to be more hospitable and something happened to throw it out of its orbit or something and it got colder. Oh, like one of the other planets exploded? Yeah, something like that. So <laughs> so that thing lives under the sea and now it lives in the cold instead. Mm. That's look that's why it didn't look like it belonged there cuz it didn't belong
1: there. All right.
0: Anyway, uh, we got a call forward to Boothby, the uh, the groundskeeper from yep. uh, from Starfleet Academy, who's kind of a cool mentor character.
1: Yeah, no, I always like the concept of him as this guy, like <laughs> like that Picard learned all this stuff from, and he just mows the lawn.
0: Well, that's a that's sort of a standard. I don't want to say cliche, but it's definitely a standard thing where. You learn all this stuff from the academics and from the, the sort of upper crusty officer guys. But the guy teaching you life lessons is the, you know, the working class guy who gets his hands dirty. And yeah. I don't dislike that archetype. And I think it works well that Picard got all his book learning, but he also learned how the world works from an old, you know, from an yeah, old no, that, lawnmower. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of
1: sense to me. Yeah, it totally does. And uh, we'll come back to him in... Uh,
0: well, we'll come back to him in, in The First Duty, and then we'll also yeah. apparently come back to him in Voyager. But let's let's not spoil it.
1: Where he becomes magic,
0: apparently, um actually, at one point, we were reading Memory Alpha at one point, apparently, they were going to make boothby end up being the traveler all along. Mm-hmm. I'm glad they didn't do that, and the reason is they didn't want Picard's mentor to be that as well, like the traveler's got a creepy thing for Wesley, mm-hmm. but let's leave but Picard, you should... let's leave Picard out of that, please like
1: we've already got like the idea of Wesley having a special destiny, yeah. which is stupid enough,
0: yeah, but let's not pull Captain Picard into that, please yeah. All Speaking
1: right. of uh, uh, Wesley's uh, magic destiny, we also have a callback to his ability to type things randomly and have things work out for him.
0: He didn't close his eyes this time, though. you got to give him that. No, that's true. So that's, I suppose... So he I'm wasn't gonna... using the Force. That's true. All right. Any further business? I think uh, I think we, you know, <laughs> we focused on our disagreement. I think we covered most of the ground. Is there any other things you want to say?
1: Uh, let me see. Oh, I want to talk just briefly about this guy they hired. Yeah. Like... You were talking to Gav about how it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever that they didn't just take a shuttle.
0: Yeah, why didn't they all just take their own shuttle? Which, the same thing may have happened. You probably could tell the same story. Mm-hmm. I think the only plot reason they had that was so Jordy could pick up this guy's weird engine stuff. Yeah. But other than that, you could have come up with
1: something else. It's like they picked the weird, like, flagship of the Federation, once again. Yep. Off to an important diplomatic meeting.
0: Yeah, let's, let's let this guy we've never met take us this in a guy, shuttle, you know, with untested whatever like weird modifications.
1: Yeah, this guy who's not part of Starfleet. So again, Starfleet Union's going to have a fucking fit.
0: Yeah, they do not like scabs at all.
1: No. <laughs> but, like you think the Borg is scary? Oh, You've not yeah. fucked around with the Starfleet Union. I mean, they will destroy
0: you. Yeah, that's not cool. The, the needs of many outweigh the needs of uh local 7699. <laughs> No, you're right. Although you know what happened with them could just as easily have happened in a Starfleet shuttle. Mm -hmm. Except they probably would have had water in a Starfleet shuttle.
1: Yeah, exactly. This
0: dude totally, uh, totally relied on his replicator. Mm
1: -hmm. Which, hey, why would I I need to bring water? I have a replicator.
0: See, I would feel the same way. I would. (laughs) What you know? Why do I need an oven? I have a microwave.
1: I mean, I, I mean, I also have like an earthquake kit in my car. So, well, that's true. Just, you know, a bottle of water and some band-aids.
0: Yeah, because if the earthquake hits, you know, water is gonna stop the earth from splitting open. Pfft,
1: and no drisky.
0: <laughs> yeah, what it, what was it? Drusky Drusky? Drusky
1: Rusky? Yeah,
0: it was it was like two letters off from whiskey. It was obvious he was just carrying a flask of, you know, alcohol. Yep. And you know, this'll <laughs> this'll quench my thirst. Yeah, no, it's not that's not how it works. I brought,
1: I brought it for all of us.
0: Yeah. No, I'm afraid you didn't.
1: No, let's all get drunk and play ping pong.
0: (laughs) All right, can we uh, can we wrap this up, or do you have further business? All right, my quote is actually—I thought it was a sweet moment. Matt probably hated it. Uh, Toward the end, there, where where they're they're escaping, they're they're, they've been rescued, and Picard and Wesley have this this last little bit of exchange, which I like,
1: Mister Crusher. Yes, sir.
0: What are you doing in such a filthy uniform? so ship shape yourself sir so there's that is
1: this the i'm proud of you thing yes
0: no no okay, no 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 right. no 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 no. it's the um it's the uh you, you look horrible yeah well oh slowly. yeah but that was a good moment
1: okay no there, there there's this part where like wesley just flat out sits down next to picard and just goes, all i ever wanted was for you to be
0: proud of me yeah but like i said i think Riker would have been the same way everyone wants daddy to be proud of them
1: I mean, I get it, but like, there's just, there's no subtlety there whatsoever, which I guess works for Wesley's character. Yeah,
0: that's fair. He's not a very subtle guy.
1: (laughs) This actually, one thing this episode did do for me was that it explains a lot about Wesley's character to me, which is all he has ever tried to do. His whole Starfleet thing is just, I am trying to impress my dead dad and I am trying to impress my new dad. Right. And I think that's why when we get to the end of his whole, whole deal it's why Starfleet doesn't work out for him. Yeah,
0: he never really wanted to be in Starfleet in the first place. He just thought that, you know, the various authority figures in his life, dead and alive, wanted him to do that.
1: Yeah, I mean, a, I've fucking been there, you know. Yeah. Like, you do stuff because you think you're supposed to.
0: Yeah, and then you you get to a point where you're like, Jesus, why am I doing this? Yeah. This isn't what I wanted at all. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a valid point. I just wish he'd, like, that part of his arc is good. But then, you know, why would he go off with the Traveler? That's, uh... Anyway, they they laid that groundwork in season one, and I think they intended to pay that off the whole time. I just, I never liked it. Yeah. Get out of here, goat hooves. Nobody likes you. (laughs) Speaking of things nobody likes, (laughs) Matt, one more time we have to think about the loss. Okay, this is it, though. No, unfortunately it's not. We're still going to have to do a season ender, and we're still going to have to write our, uh, our, our episode guide. But this is one of the last times we have to think about the loss. Son of a bitch. Never have to watch it again. That's a good thing. That's true. That's my good thing. No. (laughs) Go ahead.
1: See, we open on Deanna helping some sad woman with a dead husband trying to be quite so damn sad about it. Luckily, Deanna has magic powers that tell her that even though the woman whose husband has only been dead about a month says she's fine now, that doesn't necessarily mean she is. Deanna Troy, everybody, the best damn therapist in the universe. (laughs) Meanwhile, the Enterprise flies around through a space ribbon or something, causing a number of the crew to get carsick. Deanna goes into her whole pain, pain routine, and then discovers that she has no more magic powers anymore. And then she kind of turns into a bitch about it. Nobody understands my complete lack of powers. You can't imagine how hard it is to not be able to know what everyone's thinking. You're right, D, we have absolutely no idea what that's like. Seriously, I get it. You can't tell what people's moods are anymore. I don't see what the problem is. You were never even a very good psychic to begin with. Meanwhile, something equally boring is happening as the crew tries to stop some sort of aliens from flying into a space ribbon, but they won't listen because they're jerks or something. Also, they're two-dimensional. Two-dimensional jerks. Deanna decides that the only thing her moping is missing is a grand dramatic gesture, so she resigns from Starfleet in a much less badass way than, oh, say, hacking your communicator in a Klingon statue, and then going off to stab somebody. <clears throat> and then she goes down to Ten to drown her sorrows in chocolate syrup. Once there, Guinan gives her a pep top. Once there, Guinan gives her a pep talk by threatening to steal her job. And Troy, seeing how much better the Enterprise would be without her, realizes that she never really needed her powers to be effective, and goes back to the bridge to help save the 2D people. And then she gets her powers back because why fucking not? Guidance starts ta- taking in psychiatric patients on the sly anyway. I don't
0: know about starts. She's basically been the better counselor since you know since she got. No, there.
1: but now she now she's opened an office. Uh,
0: now she's got the booth that uh, Lucy had.
1: Yeah, psychiatric exactly. help five cents. <laughs> we don't have money in the future. Yeah, uh, well, you better find.
0: <laughs> you better have been tipping me this whole time.
1: Yeah, no kidding. Uh, so good thing. Bad. Okay. I'd like
0: to see you scrape a good thing out of this.
1: I actually did. Mm-hmm. Uh, easily and giving Troy a pep talk and 10 forward. Once again, she does Troy's job for her, to her in this case.
0: Yeah, and Troy tries to see through it. I see what you're trying to do. No, you don't, honey. I'm two steps you ahead of you. You don't see shit. No, you think you see what I'm doing, but I actually got a couple more tricks up my sleeve.
1: No, it's a, it's, a, it's a really good moment of, of Guinan doing what Guinan does best, which is outshine Troy on every possible level.
0: I'm glad, while, while I didn't completely win you over about Pulaski, I did tell you that Guinan was great, and I think I've at least won that one.
1: Yeah, no, she's fantastic.
0: Every time they've used her, she's been good. And eventually it'll kind of be a they-go-to-her-too-much thing. Mm. But for now, every time they use her, they use her very effectively. And, I'm, and as soon as we saw her walking to 10-4, I was like, yep.
1: Here we go. Yeah, now we got something yeah now which bad thing did you pick uh oh god this is just 42 minutes of goddamn woe is me someone stole my powers blue 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 <laughs> there's got to be a better way to do this I don't, I don't think there's a better way to
0: describe it than blue blue blue
1: though <laughs> that that one goes out to kim yeah of course it does the inventor of blue blue blue
0: <laughs> i should do it in the wharf voice for her blue 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 <laughs>
1: well you made her happy.
0: all right so my good thing is, while I don't entirely get the cosmic string thing, I do think it's a cool sci-fi thing to have two-dimensional aliens that can't perceive our three-dimensional heroes. Oh, yeah. And they had this sort of um, uh, instinctive thing where, I don't know, they were like salmon spawning upstream or like a balloon and something bad happens. Sure. And they were flying toward this black hole thing. I don't know. I like that. It's weird, and it's they can't communicate with them at all, and they just sort of have to say, well... We're stuck between this thing. We have to get out of it, but there's never like a an understanding. There's never like a we get it now. It's just weird, and it's something weird happening. And I yeah. like I like that. I like strange sci-fi stuff that we don't completely understand.
1: No, the, the concept's good. It's just how they get out of it that bugs me. Which is basically Deanna like making a metaphor in her head. It's the stupid cliched TV thing. Okay, that but
0: here's the thing: the stupid cliched TV thing to happen would be realizing that she has abilities that aren't her powers. Mm-hmm. Instead, but she doesn't even do that. No, that's what I'm saying. If she had won the day by, by being a psychiatrist or by being a good first contact uh, expert, which she's also mm-hmm. supposed to be, something that shows that she's good at communicating with people, that would be great. But instead she helps Data think it out, which yeah. has nothing to do with anything.
1: It's just that, like that idiotic, where you say something that sort of that your problem is that sort of sounds like what's happening, and then it just sort of dawns on you out of nowhere. Yes,
0: you know what we call that? We call that Adam West Batman logic.
1: <clears throat> yeah, exactly.
0: Tea time for tea. Who drinks tea? The Penguin. <coughs> it felt a lot like that. Uh, yeah, someone uh, from Russia is going to slip on a banana peel and break her neck. Exactly. So here's my bad thing. There was a Justice League episode where Superman lost his powers. And we really got to see what was truly about underneath it all. This is that kind of episode. Uh, you've seen that one, right? Where oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, I'm don't i not going to spoil the plot for the, those of you who haven't seen it. But he's on a planet with a red sun. He's got no powers. And he's still a badass because he's, he's heroic. He knows how to solve problems. And it's great. It's a test of his character. It's a total, like, okay, I got my safety net out of the way. Now what am I really about? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is that kind of episode. And what she's truly about is being a whiny, defensive, horrible woman. Beyond her special abilities, which don't even work most of the time, there's no character there. Nobody I want to know, anyway.
1: No. I mean, this is that type of thing where you really, you understand what the character's really about. You strap off the powers, and it just, okay, so what are you at the bottom? And what she is, is nothing.
0: Okay, and and I thought about it this way. If Jordy's visor stopped working, if they went through some space cloud that made it not work, or whatever... Mm -hmm. I bet he would be able to do his job just fine. I bet he wouldn't bitch about it because he's a fucking engineer who knows how to solve problems. Yeah. And he'd probably just have to use voice commands with the computer, but he would totally figure it out. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Deanna just is useless. She's utterly useless. Okay. Here's a real thing, and this isn't just us making a joke. We really sat and tried to think about one time in the last three and a half years, in the past, I don't know, 80 episodes or so, yeah. where her powers legitimately helped move the plot along, where they helped solve a problem, where people were, you know, better off with her there than not. And I could not think of a single one.
1: No, I couldn't either.
0: And I would, you know, if if we missed it, by all means, let us know.
1: Yeah, no, this is one of those times where you actually write us in and we will. Yeah,
0: or tell us on Twitter or whatever. Yeah. Because I can't think of one. And, I, and if you come up with one, I bet it's only one. Mm-hmm. There might be one we're forgetting, but I bet that's it.
1: Every time her powers are remarked on or anything, it's why they don't work. Yeah. Or, it, or at-
0: she's stating the obvious. Yep. The only time it's vaguely useful is she's like, he's hiding something. But even that is so super obvious. Like, Riker, who's like a world-class poker player, mm-hmm. can totally tell when someone's lying. You don't need special powers for that. You just need to be able to read people. Yeah. And so, really, her losing her powers means nothing anyway. Yeah. It's just there, not good.
1: There was talk I was reading Memory Alpha and there was talk about about having her not get her powers back. Oh. And that would actually be an interesting direction I would like to take I would have liked to have taken this.
0: Well, like I said, then you really get to the bottom of what she really is and she's not just what her powers are, she's, you know, what she is as a person.
1: Yeah, that would have been a perfect opportunity. This episode alone would have been a perfect opportunity to give her something to do. Yeah,
0: I mean, if not put her in a uniform yet at least make her, you know, like I said, I This might just be in the extended universe fiction, but she's supposed to be a first contact expert. Mm -hmm. She's supposed to be good at reaching out to new civilizations, figuring out what they're about and and talking to them, learning their psychology. Like an expert psychologist is a good thing to have when you're exploring strange new worlds. Absolutely. And she could be that or she could be like in the fake future. She could be like a diplomatic aide. Mm-hmm. Like, you know,
1: good. like we see her uh, as a diplomatic aide in that, uh, yeah, in future perfect. Like,
0: where yeah. even if she didn't have her power, she could be good at negotiating. Like Picard's I, better, but they could do, like, the two of them could do, like, a great good cop, bad cop thing. Mm-hmm. Picard could like, threaten to storm out of the room and she could be like, I'm sorry, I'll calm him down, you know, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Like, I don't even think she's a good therapist no,
0: in this. No, definitely not in this. Where that chick basically walks all over and tells her what she's feeling, and Deanna has to take her word for it, more or less.
1: Yeah, it's just, well, I don't know what you're feeling, so I guess you must be telling the truth. I'll just
0: take it on face value. Here's a a music box.
1: Even though, theoretically, I've been to medical school for, like, ten years. Yeah,
0: I thought she was a licensed therapist. I thought she had a degree in psychiatry or something.
1: Mm -hmm. I, like, you can't just... Just show up at the Federation's flagship and say, I'm a therapist. Oh, well, come aboard.
0: On the other hand, if Guinan was actually serious about taking her job, mm-hmm. maybe you can. I guess so. I'm a bartender. Sold! <coughs> that could be.
1: Oh, I mean, at least Guinan's had experience in helping people. That's
0: true. Um, so there was some really clumsy, I don't even want to call it symbolism. Mm-hmm. There were some really clumsy similes, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> there were two things. We opened the episode with her counseling this woman about recovering from a great loss. Mm-hmm. Get it? Get it? Huh? Huh? And then later on, when they're talking about the two-dimensional guys living in a three-dimensional world, she's like, I feel like them with one of my important things cut off. Get it? Huh?
1: Oh, uh? Terrible. Oh. Just terrible. I also, can I just take a second to dwell on the fact that, uh, like, this, woman, this woman's husband is dead, right? Yeah. And she's upset because, like, she had all of his stuff thrown away because she didn't want to deal with it. Right. And then she laments that she had that. She has nothing to remember him by. So Deanna goes over to her closet where she saved this music box, which she gives to this woman. Uh-huh. And just, oh, I didn't, they didn't get rid of everything. I saved this music box for you. I'm, look, I don't want to be that guy, but can you please point me to one grown man <laughs> who owns a music box? Just one. You make a good point. Although,
0: we only heard a couple of notes of it, but I could swear it was playing the hook from Angel as a Centerfold.
1: Oh, well, I mean, that's completely different. I would own a music box if it played Angel as a Centerfold. I mean, they I fucking love that they song. They
0: opened it briefly, but it was like, do, 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 and then they closed it. Like, <laughs> I I know that doo, song. Doo, 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 doo. Yep. The other thing is, okay, a tiny wooden box is just a reminder of his coffin. <laughs> that's probably not the best memento to keep. <laughs> but that's just me.
1: This just reminds me every day of the box that they put his corpse in before they shot it into space. <laughs> they didn't. That's what we do with dead people in Star Trek. They didn't even put him in a torpedo tube. That's only for senior nope. officers. <laughs> Sorry, we wanted something <laughs> that would break down almost instantly, instantly.
0: Okay, there was a there was a genuinely great. Well, I don't want to say scene. Four line exchange mm-hmm. at the beginning where we're kind of catching people in the middle of. I love that. I love mm-hmm. when. We pick up on a scene where two people are having a casual conversation before they're interrupted by the action. Mm -hmm. And it's Picard and Riker. And Picard's like, oh, you've got to come to the holodeck, Will. We're going to ride horses. And Riker's so graciously trying to extricate. Uh, horses, gee, I don't know. Oh, come on. It'll be fun. Sir, I don't know. Like, it was a great little look into what they're like when there's not a crisis. It's like every time my dad tried to take me fishing. Yeah, but you want to, you know, you want to please him. Yeah, but, but you really don't want to go fishing. Yeah, and he does not want to get on a horse at no. all. So there's
1: that. It's like, look, I like you a lot, but I cannot think of a more boring way Look, we have a magic box that will take us anywhere and show us anything, and you want to ride a horse. Yeah, you
0: know, we first we invented cars, then we invented shuttlecraft, then we invented a transporter. We don't have to ride horses anymore, Captain.
1: No, but I have my very own special saddle. Oh, well... I don't have a special saddle. Yeah. All
0: right. So, yeah, three quarters of the episode were Deanna just being the worst, the worst. Mm-hmm. She, How do you people live like this? You don't understand what I'm going through. I mean, it's just terrible.
1: I just, Every time she would do a line like that, I would just think of Jordy in the background going, yeah, that's real tough. Yeah,
0: living with a handicap. I guess you can't do that, huh?
1: I don't know how you get your job done with a, with only with only five senses.
0: <laughs> yeah, you'll never make uh, you'll never make department head like that. Ugh. yeah, terrible. But really, I mean, we're kind of glossing over it because it's just the same thing over and over again. But really, mm-hmm. that that is most of the episode is her just bitching and being mean to everybody.
1: There is a way I've discovered that you can tell if an episode has nothing going on, and that's if you go to the synopsis on Memory Alpha and it's a paragraph long.
0: Yeah, nobody put a lovingly detailed synopsis in there. They're like, eh. Uh...
1: If it's not broken up into, like, six acts, yeah. then you're pretty fucked. Yeah. And this one was, like, there's
0: nothing here. Well, I'd be willing to bet when we get to our episode guide. Which, mm-hmm. you know, we wrote one for the original series. We're going to be doing them, hopefully, going forward for each yep. series. Uh, and, and and those will also be available in the app. This isn't me plugging it, by the way. I'm just talking about our process. Yeah, and, although you should buy the app. Oh, absolutely. If you have an iPhone, it's, it's very cheap. Um, but if, you know, when we're writing our synopsis for this, I bet you ours is only going to be about a sentence long. Usually we try to do a few sentences, work in a couple of jokes. We're going to be like, next. It might just be that one word. Next. Yep. That'd be um
1: nice. magic power's gone. We're done now. Yeah.
0: There were there were a couple of good, very brief scenes. Mm-hmm. There was she's being bitchy to Riker. And Riker says, Come on, Imzadi. And she's like, Don't give me that crap.
1: Which is just like, oh, look, I don't have time for my horse shit.
0: No, but I liked I liked that. I liked that he's, mm-hmm. you know, Imzadi, like using their special word. Yep. And she's like, no, fuck you. <laughs> and then there's a bit, and we say this every week, but it's true every week. Mm -hmm. When she lets down the the stiff bullshit, you know, like, aristocratic, as he calls her,
1: uh,
0: exterior, and actually acts like a person, it's cool. She's good at that.
1: Absolutely. there's
0: a moment at the end in Ten Forward where she talks to Bever, and then Bever goes (laughs) away. And she turns to Riker and she says, "God, I was just horrible to her.
1: Yeah, I was such a bitch." And the
0: and the delivery was just like, oh, "There she is. There's an actor yeah. in there. She's
1: good. That's the character I want to. That's the character I want to spend time with. With
0: some self awareness, with some humility, with a smile mm-hmm. on her face. That's that's the character I'd like to get to know better. Yeah. Oh well.
1: It's too bad that the this show is not interested in showing her to us.
0: Not at all. All right. Anything else?
1: Uh, no, I think we can just roll into my quote. Very well. What is your quote? <laughs> There's actually a couple of lines in here that I liked a lot, uh-huh. but, uh, you sold me on this one. I'm not convinced it is a ghost.
0: I just love the total out of contextness of that, and we're not going to tell you what, what scene that was or what was going on. Yep. Just enjoy that, won't you?
1: Yep. Once again, Worf is awesome.
0: Yeah, he is. <laughs> he didn't have much going on, but, you know, when he did. Yep. He's shown like a star. <laughs> and that is all for this week. Thank God. Oh, yeah. We're we're done. Um, next week, we've got uh, two O'Brien episodes. Yes, two good O'Brien episodes. Well, mm-hmm. something awful happens to O'Brien, but get used to that. Yeah. Especially on to the next series. Uh, and we will be uh, joined by a guest we've never had before, another lady voice, mm-hmm. which will be nice. Going to mix things up here a little bit. So look forward to that.
1: All right, Matt, let's get out of here. Yeah. So say it. Oh, yeah. My blood runs cold. My memory has just been sold. Angel in the centerfold. See you, folks.
0: The Post Atomic Horror Podcast is a co production of Ron Algar Watt and Matt Robotham, copyright 2012. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.